Good morning again. You know, and I say this every year, but I love Grad Sunday. I just love opportunities where we can celebrate with one another, and especially for our young people, because they've put in so much time and so much effort to get to these milestones in their life, and so it's an important time where we can celebrate with them as they get ready to embark on the change of moving into the next phase of, you know, going into high school or going in after you graduate high school into the workforce or into post-secondary, and then after post-secondary, again, into the rest of what life has ahead. So it's important that we can celebrate with them and encourage them, and especially encouraging them in their faith, because uh, we know from the statistics that come out that grade 12 is the largest drop-off point for graduates, or sorry, for students who walk away from their faith. And so we see that kind of comes after you graduate, that there's less accountability, there's all these challenges and things that people face. And I mean, the reality is, as we live more life, and as we experience more of the world, we start to encounter things that push against our understanding of who God is. You know, we might hear people who talk against Christianity and might say things that maybe you've never heard before and might shock you or make you take a step back. You might be reading your Bible and read things in your Bible that contradict your view and understanding of God and who He is. You might experience situations or hear about other people's situations that seem to contradict or go against the God that you may understand. So we hear things, we read things, and we experience things that contradict and come into conflict with how we understand who God is. So in order to stand firm in our faith, We must grow our view of God to include all that Scripture presents of who God is. And when we do that, then we can follow God and His Word with confidence and with trust. And as you follow God with confidence and trust, then in turn it builds more faith. But we have to navigate through a lot. So for instance, here's some examples. There's been a big wave of people over the last five years or more who have been deconstructing their faith online for people to see. And what this means when they deconstruct their faith, they explain the reasons why they've chosen to stop believing in the Bible and to stop following Christianity as their lifestyle. And after listening to a whole bunch of these stories over the years, without exception, like not one exception, the individuals have an incomplete or an incorrect view of who God is in the Bible. They share their experiences and their struggles, and they mix a lot of things that are true with some things that are not true. And we all know a good lie is a good dose of truth with a little bit of falsehood in there, and that's what makes the falsehood easier to swallow. So they sound convincing. And then, as you were reading our Bibles, like I said, we might come across those alarming verses that portray a version of God that we don't believe in. We might read a verse or a story where God does something horrible that we just don't agree with. Or on top of that, we experience things in our life and experiences that, that go against our expectation of who God is. And we see that, you know, maybe we come to church and we see Christ followers are, are hypocrites sometimes. Or maybe they're not as loving as, as they should be when they walk around saying we should love others as we love ourselves. And maybe some of people feel that God is this vending machine, this cosmic blessing vending machine that should just give them stuff whenever they want. He should just be sending out blessings. I mean, after all, God loves you, right? After all, God wants what's best for us, and, and he wants us to be happy, so he must want to bless us. But then we experience suffering, and we ask and say, God, get us out of this suffering situation. Get us out of this horrible thing we're going through. And that relief doesn't come in that way 
Some people might think of God as a God of peace and gentleness and of love. And then when they read in Scripture that God kills somebody or sends people to war or verses that say that we should fear God, they don't understand how those two things can be true at the exact same time. And perhaps even more common in the church are people who sort of view church and God in a consumerist sort of way. So they expect the church is going to be like a service that operates just to serve them and for their benefit. And so they let their demands and their preferences and their expectations be known to everybody in the church. And then they find out how much is actually required of them. Because they find out the church is not at all a business. We're a family. And a family contributes. Everybody contributes. And so then they find out that being a follower of Christ means that they need to be born again. They need to set aside their desires of the world to follow after Christ with their heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then they feel it's too demanding or too unloving for the church or for God to require so much of them. For many people, all of these things pile up. They go unchecked and they become more and more and more and more contradictions to their current understanding of who God is. And eventually they will walk away from the faith. Allison, can you please bring my water, please? Just dry mouth here. Thank you. So, today, we're actually going to look at how do you respond when some of these things come? What do you do when something sets off alarm bells in you or makes you angry or upset? But we're going to look at how to respond to those things because if you haven't experienced those things in your life, they're probably coming. And if you have experienced those things, you've handled probably some of them well and some things maybe we need to revisit. So today we're actually going to look at one of those really difficult Bible passages that make you, that may contradict how you understand God is, who God is, what your current view of who God is. And then we're going to look at how to respond to that thing. So go ahead and in your Bibles turn to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6 um, in your Bibles. This is the story where God kills a man named Uzzah for touching the ark because they're traveling with the ark. The ark is on a cart and it starts to fall and he grabs it and stops the ark of the covenant from falling. And God gets angry at him and kills him. So while you find 2 Samuel chapter 6 in your Bibles, let me give you a little bit of background on this passage because in chapter 5, there's a lot that happens. So chapter 5, we see David, the same David is like David and Goliath. And so David, who's going to become king, he actually becomes king in chapter 5. So that's super exciting. Then uh, he goes on to conquer Jerusalem from his enemies. And then he hears a plot from the Philistines and he goes and defeats them. So there's like, that's a lot of stuff to happen in one chapter, right? Like David's coronation, super exciting. He conquers Jerusalem. They call it the city of David. He conquers that and establishes a capital city for the Israelites. It's amazing uh, to finally have that. And then he hears this that the Philistines are back and they're going to cause trouble for David. So he moves out in advance and, and conquers them before they, before they hurt any of the people. Uh, it's amazing, right? Like this is incredible, incredible stuff in the life of David, considering all, if you know the story of David, all the stuff that he's just come through, this is incredible. Like uh, it, it, worth celebration. God is blessing and it's exciting. And so what David does is he gets 30,000 people together for a big celebration and he decides to bring the Ark of the Covenant 
which was a sacred golden box in the Old Testament that served as a visible reminder to the Israelites of God's covenant with them. And God's presence would actually come and rest on the top of the ark. There was these cherubim that were on top, and there was sort of a seat there. And God would, God's presence would manifest there in some unique way to be with the Israelites. It was an incredible thing, really important box. And so they were bringing that, carrying the ark into Jerusalem. They had, they were, they had built a new cart for it, and they're bringing that into Jerusalem. They're singing songs, they're dancing, they're playing music. And in chapter 5, everything is amazing. And then chapter 6. Let's read what's going to happen here in chapter 6. Just starting in verse 1. It says, David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name of the Lord, who sits enthroned on the cherubim. And they carried the ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were driving the new cart with the ark of God, and Ahio went before the ark. And David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord and the song, with songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. And when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the ox, uh, oxen had stumbled. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and God struck him down there because of his error. And he died there because the ark of God. And David was angry because the Lord had broken out against Uzzah. And that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. And David was afraid of the Lord that day. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David was not willing to take the ark of the Lord into the city of David. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. So after reading this, like, we have to ask, like, God, why did you do that? Like, does it not seem like an accident at the very least? It starts to stumble. He stops from stumbling. Like, why does God react this way? Now, if hearing this story makes you a little bit angry, that's good. That's good because it means that you're engaging with this story intellectually. It means that you're, you're, you're thinking about it and engaging with the scriptures and wrestling with it internally. That's important. We don't sweep this stuff under the rug. We have to wrestle with what's really in the Bible. In fact, it even says in this passage that David was angry. He was so angry that he sent the ark away. He didn't even want it in Jerusalem. So we're wrestling at this moment with the same things that David was wrestling with in the moment there. And when we don't understand, ourselves, uh, understand something, it's totally normal and totally healthy to, to have these feelings or to think to yourself, I don't, I don't get why God would do this. I don't understand. But the proper way to move forward is then to seek understanding, to find more information. And sometimes we have to wait a little bit before that information comes or we can find it. Or sometimes we have to wait before we can find somebody who can help us understand it. And the cool thing is, in this passage, we actually get to see exactly how David does respond. So let's pause and look at the answer to, some question, to the question, why did this happen? Why did God do this? And there's two passages that lend some helpful information. We're not going to read them, but uh, if you want to write them down, you can. But the first passage is Numbers chapter 4, verse 5. And this is where we see and we learn 
that the Israelites are not allowed to touch holy and sacred objects or else they will die. There is a clear warning there about somebody who is not holy coming into contact with the holiness of God. And so they would have known that. They would have very much understood that. And I've heard it related to, you know, the God's holiness thing. I've heard it related to, like, the sun. Like, the sun is good and wonderful, but if you get too close, you will, you will perish. And in a similar way, God's holiness is good, but it's dangerous. In that, if you are unholy, it makes it dangerous for us to come in contact with God's holiness. Another important verse to understand why this happened is Exodus 25, 14. And here we see that there's a specific way that the Israelites are supposed to carry the Ark of the Covenant. And so they're supposed to use these long poles and thread it through these rings on the Ark and lift it up and carry it on four people's shoulders. And in this passage, we see that Uzzah and his family uh, did not do that. They figured out uh, that they had a better way to carry the Ark. And we see that Uzzah's family's way didn't work. They put on a cart pulled by oxen. The oxen stumbled. The cart started to fall. Now, as Christians, we know that if we love God, we'll obey his commands. And we see that Uzzah and his family clearly did not obey God's commands and his strict instructions, and they brought disrespect to his important commands. And now, you may not like the fact that God's holiness is dangerous, but that does not change the reality of this situation. When Uzzah touches the ark, God's holiness kills him. This story is in our Bible, and it needs to shape how you understand who your God is, especially if it contradicts your view of God. If you think God would never do something like this, you're just wrong, because it's here, it's for us, like right here, for us to read and to study. This is is the God that we worship and we follow. This is our good God, this God of spirit and of truth and of holiness and power and wonder and majesty. This is our God, and it's okay. And we see that David, this man who loves God, is struggling with the same thing that we're struggling with. And he was angry at God for doing this. And he sends the ark away to a man named Obed-Edom. They send it to his house, And after three months, David looks at the household of Obed-Edom and he finds out that their household has been blessed because of the ark's presence there. And David is reminded of God's blessings. And he recognizes God's holiness in a refreshed way. And so David learns and he approaches the ark again. And this time he brings it back properly, but this time with reverence and respect. If we continue reading in the passage, starting at verse 12, it says, Then King David was told, The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household and everything he has because of the ark of God. So David went there and brought the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city city of David with great celebration. And after the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord had gone six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, wearing a priestly garment. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. So we can see that David has brought back the celebration, right? He's brought back all the people. It says there were men carrying the ark this time instead of on a cart. They decided to do sacrifices in order to show honor 
and respect and reverence to the Lord. And so what do we learn from David here? You'll be tempted in your life to reject God for a number of different reasons that come up. And most likely, those reasons are going to be problems with your expectations versus the reality of who God is. It might be the hypocrisy or behavior of people in the church. It might be that you are unable to reconcile the problem of evil and pain and suffering in your life. Or you might just not like the things that you read. Perhaps you can't reconcile tough passages. Maybe it feels like God's too distant or there's not enough proof of God's existence. But it's rarely just like one of these things. It's often that a bunch of these things go unchecked and chip away at you and become kind of snowballed into something bigger. And then when you do find answers, oftentimes people just reject answers because they just don't like it. But remember, to stand firm in your faith, we must grow our view of God to include all all of what scripture teaches and presents. And when we do that, we follow God with more and more confidence the more and more that we learn. God and his word, as we follow it with confidence and trust, it will in turn build more faith in us because we know that we can trust it. But if you make up a version of who God is that doesn't actually exist in the scriptures, then when you find a contradiction in your life, or from the scriptures that goes against your man-made view of God, your made-up view of God, and your expectations, they won't match the reality of who God is, and you'll get confused, and these are the times that, that lead people to struggle the most. The Bible is an ancient document. I mean, it has been around and studied more than any other book that we have. People have studied this book. They've written down their answers to questions. They've asked all the same questions that we've asked over uh, the last couple thousand years, and they've passed that knowledge on to other people who have been studying and reading and talking about these things. So there's not exactly a whole lot of new questions that come up, and there's lots of answers available from people that have thought these things, and there are some passages that are super confusing. And if you've been a Christian a long time, you know there's still lots of passages that you probably don't even understand. You're like, I don't that's one I don't I chalk up to I gotta ask God when I get there probably or or dig deep into some books but I, I don't know like there's there's passages like that for me where I'm like I don't know like that's a weird one for me and that's okay so pause right now and ask yourself what is what is your biggest problem with God what causes you the most doubt what are your expectations of God versus what your reading or experiencing. And whatever thing or things are problems for you, I pray that you would seek answers and that you would listen to them when they come. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus came to this earth and shows up on the scene, it's amazing. Many people had expectations of what the Messiah was going to be. And Jesus didn't meet those expectations. And they thought, well, I've read the scriptures and I've studied it. I've read it for myself. And, and, and they had this, this formula in their head of what they expected. And when Jesus showed up and he didn't meet those expectations and he showed them, he said, here it is in the scriptures. Read this. That's me. I'm doing it. I'm here. Ha-da. And then he's going around healing people. Even after just seeing him face to face, they still rejected the truth. How dangerous is that? 
That's how you end up with a man like Jesus who's healing people and loving people. That's how you end up with a guy like that getting crucified on a cross because people are rejecting the truth. Do not reject Jesus because of your ignorance. Seek truth. Seek understanding. Seek wisdom. Ask for help. Don't be so prideful that you think your view of God is perfect. And even, like, that's true if you've been in the, a Christian for 40 years. I mean, how many Christians have I met that, that have, you know, think that their way of following God or what God expects of them is, is legalism? And their whole life is just all the, trying to follow the Old Testament law of Moses instead of the new law of Christ like Paul talks about. We must all learn this. We must all learn to be like David and move from anger to awe of who God is. Our view of God can't be routine. It can't be casual. We can't just decide to, to show up and, and do this Christian thing once in a while. But rather we need to see the breathtaking beauty and the terrifying power and awe and profound majesty and the magnitude of our God. And reverence opens our eyes to our need for grace and forgiveness in our life because it brings humility when we see how amazing and how wonderful and good and holy and just God is compared to our our need for uh, grace because we live this unholy and irreverent life before Christ and our sinful nature is in us and we keep making mistakes and we can never live up to the standards that God lays out in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And we see our need for a Savior. Now, we, we don't need to know all there is to know about God, of course. That would be impossible. But it's that understanding even that we can't possibly know everything about God, that gives us this humility as we approach these things in our life. And so this morning, acknowledge the areas of your life where you've unintentionally diminished God's holiness with your thoughts, with your attitudes towards God, with your actions, with your worship. I mean, even just take worship. When you're singing these songs... Are you really worshiping your God? Are you singing those songs to him? Are you singing out loud? Are you raising your hands when you feel like you just want to express yourself? Or are you too worried what other people are thinking next to you? Are you realizing that you're worshiping and singing to a holy God? And I encourage you, well, I mean, just being self-aware of these things in your life when you ask yourself this question honestly, Being self-aware of these things enough, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal them to you, is such a big step. And then I encourage you to pray about these things in your life. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you understand him more. And read your Bibles. Don't just take other people's words for it. Don't watch a YouTube video and say, well, this this is who God is. Or hear what somebody famous has to say about Christianity in their view of who God is or your friend, or your neighbor, or your parents, or your pastors, read it for yourselves. I mean, the Bible has never been more accessible at any other point in all of history. I mean, even just downloading it on an app and listening to it. I mean, the Bible was written, when they wrote the Bible, they wrote it expecting it to be read to people so they could listen to it. So pick up the Bible, read it, listen to it, 
But understand, listen to, uh, meditate on it, find out what it says, and talk to other Christians who are going to help you in this process of reading and listening and studying and learning. Because there's lots of wonderful resources out there, and we live in a community. We're a family. We want to do this together. So there's lots of people in your life, even just in this room, you guys want to study this word together. It's exciting, and it's wonderful. And for people who feel like, I don't have time to do stuff like that, this is, this is really important. When you find something that trips you up, pause and pray about it. These are a lot of Ps. Pause, pray, and then ponder and be purposeful in how you approach it. And as your current understanding of who God is begins to shift to include more understanding of the scriptures as you read them, and you find out more of who he is truly, you'll notice that it enriches your faith. You'll notice that when you're in times of struggle, it will ease your pain when you understand God's profound use and reasons why he lets us experience suffering on this earth. He will shape your character and your daily decisions to be more and more like Jesus. And so graduates, as you embark on the next chapter of your journey, remember the importance of standing firm in your faith, continually striving to expand your understanding of who God is, embracing the entirety of what Scripture presents, and dive deep into the Word. Trust not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him. Your faith will flourish, and God will empower you to face all of life's challenges with an unwavering faith. And for those who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I urge every single one of you to consider the profound significance of placing your trust into Jesus Christ. Uzzah died when he came into contact with God's holiness. But God, for, I'm, this is, let me geek out for a second. So, when he touched God's, holy, God's ark, holy, he was unholy, he died. But for Christians, it's different. So go back to when Jesus was there, right? He's God in flesh, and he's living a perfect, sinless life. He dies on the cross, right? He goes in our place. He dies in our place. But the reason that the curtain tore, do you remember when, when Jesus died? The curtain tore from top to bottom because they took the ark, when David went to Jerusalem, and they built a temple around the Ark of the Covenant. And the very middle of that temple was called the Holy of Holies. And the only thing that separated God's presence, that's where God's presence rested, from the rest of God's people was this curtain to symbolize that separation. And a high priest would go in occasionally a few times a year to offer sacrifices by the Ark. And, and they, I mean, there's stories about how they would wear like bells and, and stuff on their tassels so that if they stopped jingling, if they died in there, they would know, or tie ropes around their legs. You know, there's all these stories about those things happening because of the reverence that they had for this holy of holies because God's presence was very real in there, in there. And so God's presence would rest there. But when Jesus died in that curtain tore, that was symbolic of God's presence now no longer needing to be centralized at the ark, but now would be with the people. 
And then at Pentecost, we see that Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, comes and rests on people in tongues of fire above their head. And and God's Spirit now rests in the believer. In those who have been forgiven and made holy through the blood of Jesus, they now, so Christians, if you're here and you're a Christian, you are now the new temple of God. God's presence rests in you in some unique way. You are now the holy of holies. And the reason you don't die instantly like Uzzah is because Jesus has given you his holiness. That when Jesus died on the cross, he took our sin on the cross and paid the price that we could not pay, and we received his holiness. He took our sinfulness, we received his holiness. And he has made us holy, and there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you're here and you don't know who Jesus is, if you haven't trusted in him him as your savior, or you're learning about all this stuff, you may have a lot of questions. There's a lot to, you know, to, to, to put together with all of this stuff. But do not wait to reconcile yourself with the Lord. His boundless love and unwavering grace has the power to shape your future and provide a solid foundation on which to build your life filled with joy and peace and fulfillment. Let's pray together. In fact, if you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior and you want to kind of make a step of faith to be, you know, moving towards being a Christian, let me just pray right now some things you might want to pray. This is what you might want to pray. You can pray along with me. God, you are holy and mighty and good. God, I'm sorry for my sin. I'm sorry for living my own way instead of living for you. I'm sorry for thinking that I know a better way to do things. God, thank you for your mercy and your grace. Would you please forgive my sins? Would you please forgive me even for the stuff that I don't even know that I did? And today, I, I want to place my trust in Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross in my place and giving me a gift of holiness. Life is hard on my own. And today I want to stop trying my own way and I want to trust in your ways. Help me to grow in my understanding of who you are. Reveal yourself to me, Holy Spirit. And for those who are believers here who maybe are struggling in their faith, God, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just give us patience that you would give us understanding, that you would reveal yourself to us more and more, that you would show us who you really are so that we could fall more in love with you, that we would not be shaken when we hear something new. God, we pray that we would pause and really think about things before just letting those things go unchecked. And God, that we would listen to the answers instead of just what we want to hear. God, I pray that we would seek understanding of the reality of who you 
are. God, and I'm sorry for the ways that I'm sure every single person in this room that we have all rejected some of those things because we want to believe that you're a certain, a certain way and we've replaced some of the things about you with our own desires of how we want you to be. And God, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy in those things. God, we thank you that for your forgiveness. We thank you that you know the struggle of this and that you want to walk with us through that your patience and your kindness. But thank you, God, that you are not safe, that your holiness is dangerous, that you're not just a tepid um, God, but you are a wonderful, majestic, fierce, awesome, in the truest sense of the word, awesome, God. God, thank you. And God, this morning we thank you and we rejoice for the things you do every single day through this body of believers, God. The ways that you move in our, in our city, the ways that you move in our spheres of influence through the love that people have for you and the love they have for others. God, would you continue to use this church, including our graduates. God, would you use them in a mighty way to, impact your, uh, to grow your kingdom, to impact the world with the gospel? Would you use this generation of students to uh, pour into their communities, to pour into their lives of their friends the truth about who you are? And would you give them humility instead of arrogance? Would you give them desire to do, uh, show love to the world and to each other, to their church? And would you guard their faith and help them to stand firm? God, we pray all of these things In the name of Jesus, amen.